0: Speech language pathologist, and welcome to my podcast number 457 Expressive Language Milestones by 30 Months. Brought to you by my website, Teach Me to Talk, the largest provider of ASHA approved continuing education courses for early intervention. If you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, please do that right now. We so appreciate your support. Now, if this is your first course, your first time to join me, thank you so much for being here. We want to be your main provider for continuing education courses, and all our courses focus on therapists who work with toddlers and with preschoolers. You can purchase our online courses anytime, anywhere that you need them with no annual subscriptions or auto-renews. All of our courses Courses are a la carte in our $5 CEU program, so I hope that you'll check that out. If it's not your first course, welcome back. It's always a privilege to have you join me to talk about all things related to early language development. So let's get going today. All right, we are continuing our Language Milestones podcast series. This is show number 8 in a 14-part series where we review all the developmental milestones for language skills. Now we're covering both expressive skills and receptive skills by 12 months all the way up to 48 months. So we're right here in the middle at 30 months. Now we're tackling these milestones in 6-month increments. So we have one show for expressive language skills and one show for receptive language skills. In this course, we're looking at all the milestones for expressive language or what a child says by 30 months. Now, for therapists, because this is a continuing education course, I'll be posting the link below to purchase the CE credit for only five bucks in our $5 CEU program. And this includes your CE credit with a certificate and also the show handout or the show notes. Now, this handout is a great tool for you to use as therapists in your everyday practice. You can use this to introduce a strategy or a milestone or one of your goals to a parent and then the best part about this handout is that uh, parents can take this home and then look at the cues for the strategies that are right there. So it's a great parent education tool for you. Now because of that, we expanded about a year ago offering these handouts for parents or grandparents or anyone else who's watching the show who would like quality professional information presented in everyday language. And so the link to purchase that handout is also included here uh, below in the show description. Now so many parents and grandparents email me and ask how they can support our work here at Teach Me To Talk and specifically Here on YouTube, and because of that, you can purchase a handout for five dollars or any other amount that you would like to give, and that really helps uh, provide these courses for parents around the world who can't afford access to that. Now, both the links for CE Credit and to purchase the uh, handout for the show are below. They'll take you to my website if you just teach me to talk, and again, this is course number or show number. 458. Alright, so let's talk about what's happening here uh, by reviewing the milestones that we'll be covering in this six-month increment. And today we're looking at skills for expressive language or what a child says and we're here by 30 months. So that means between 24 and 30 months. And Remember we're looking at typical language development with these milestones. Alright, so here we go. The first milestone is, and you can follow along on your handout, and I like how we've formatted these because the milestone are just right here on the right-hand side so easy way for you to talk to parents about all of these skills as kind of a group because that's actually how children acquire language now again our little friends with atypical language development we know that they may have some splinter skills that are way up in one age range but for the most part when we're working uh, with a child we really do select goals that tend to be within that same little age range all right so let's review these imitates two numbers or unrelated words on request and so that just tells you how important imitation still is here for a two and a half year old. That's how they learn and again we'll talk about more about uh, exactly what this means for their development, and what exciting changes are happening again here at two by two and a half. All right the next milestone is uses three word phrases frequently so again we're bumping up that level that 24 months we were saying that Uh, Children really are using lots of two-word phrases, so now we're bumping that up more, and so the majority of the things that they say are frequently, we hear those three-word phrases. They ask for assistance with personal needs, so their pragmatic functions are improving, and again, pragmatics just means language use, so they're able to use their words again to ask other people to do things that they cannot do themselves again uh, regarding personal needs, and I'll give you lots of examples of those when we start reviewing the milestones, uses action words. So we've had lots and lots of nouns and single words, and now that children are combining words into phrases, we'll see verbs take a more prominent position in their vocabularies and in their utterances that we hear them use. The next skill is names one color accurately, and so we're all the way up here to two and a half before we see that on any kind of assessment or evaluation for children sometimes we place way too much importance on those pre-academic skills but you'll see they start to come in here now at about two and a half and so again that's after language is firmly established after kids are using lots of different types of words then we can work on those kinds of things so we'll talk about colors and how children learn that the next milestone is refers to self by pronoun consistently and that's where children stop using their own names in phrases and they start to say pronouns nouns like I and my and me and so we'll review that. The next milestone is they use two different sentence types. There are actually four sentence types so we'll talk about what those four are and how we can facilitate those in children at this developmental level then uh, uses negation and that's anytime that a child uses no or not plus another word so that's not daddy I'm not sleepy uh, those kinds of uh, utterances and again because of all those things because of all of those um, improvements or bump ups here the mean length of utterance from 27 at about 27 months is now 1.50 to 2.00 and that may not mean anything to you unless you You are a speech-language pathologist pathologist, like me, and then uh, by 30 months, it's 2.00 to 2.50, and so again, they're bumping that up, and I'll explain what mean length of utterance is as we get to it in the milestones review. So the big part here, the big thing that we're looking at here with expressive language here uh, by the 30-month level is that vocabulary continues to explode. So remember, before this period, when we were looking at 18 to 24 months, we said that Typically developing kids by the time they're 24 months use how many words? 200 to 300. Now, I hope you didn't say 50. <laughs> if you said 50, you were looking at the bottom end of typical development for a 24-month-old. And so many times, again, we've talked about over and over and over how there's just erroneous information about typical language development versus the bottom of typical language development. And again, if you're a parent and listening to that, your heart may be breaking right now because your child is nowhere near that level. And I certainly don't want to make you feel any worse about things than they already are. But it's always best to keep in mind what that that average is, so that we remain motivated, so that we can help a kid kind of get as close to that as uh, he or her can possibly can. All right, so by, again, here we're looking at, that was 24 months, we said 200 to 300 words, we bumped up now to 30 months, so now statistics say that typically developing children, and that's those kids right there in the middle of that bell curve, right there at the 50th percentile, use and again here because we've got a range I guess it would be on either side of that between 350 words and 650 words so boy is that vocabulary continuing uh, to move along and continuing to explode and again if you're a parent or maybe even a therapist if you've done this lately and really looked at the internet sources they always report that very bottom end of normal and I think by doing that they really give parents sometimes a false sense of security. Now, when I did a Google search in preparation for this show, just looking at what the statistics were for typically developing or average 30-month-olds, I got that whole range from the 350 to 650 words there, and I believe that that was at... Um, National Institutes of Health because I was I was shocked about that because that disparity between what the CDC says versus the NIH, and we’ll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, and then some sites still listed uh, again, the the benchmark typical for uh, what what you might find for a twenty four month old with that fifty word level, which we know it's typical for eighteen months, they're still using that for thirty months. So again, at least it's better than the ridiculous recommendation for three words by thirty months. But again. Terrible guidance for parents and grandparents, way off those evidence-based guidelines that we use for the American Speech and Hearing uh, Association, Speech, Language, and Hearing Association. In our last show about expressive language development, which would have been course 455, we reviewed the top 11 strategies for teaching expressive language to toddlers. So today, I wanna add two more evidence-based strategies to your arsenal of strategies to use and share with families here at this age range, you're gonna find them at the top of your handout. So let's just talk about what those are. Now, these strategies become to be. Uh, are coming to be so effective for not only this developmental age range, but then throughout the preschool period. So the first one is this, whenever we teach a new goal, so whatever our goal is, we should try to keep that stable, but all the other words around that, all the other language facilitation that you're using, all of your other input should be variable. And so the research says that this serves to make that target even more stable. So it's the one feature that stays the same, but then we use lots and lots of variety now up until this point you have probably heard me preach what repetition 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 and that is still important but after a child uh, gets past that 24-month level or past that two-year-old level and here at two to two and a half we also want to be sure that we are expanding the language that we use so that we can help a child continue with his vocabulary explosion uh, again that that continues to be the theme uh, throughout this uh, period of toddlerhood now I've got the official piece of research that, that is from if you want to take a look at that uh, on the handout there now the second uh, oh let's talk about this one more time and let me give you some examples so the reason that we want to do this even though it might be sort of con- you you might think oh why would you vary everything except your target there won't that be confusing for young children if you are constantly changing your other words and again that's why it works, because it makes your goal the most stable part of what you're saying to a child. So let me give you some examples. So when you were teaching a skill that we're going to talk about today, so early pronoun usage, so a pronoun like I... When you're teaching that, you should use lots of different verbs so that the child focuses more on that pronoun I. So what would you do? So you might do an activity where you're having a character or maybe even, you know, like a toy or maybe even the child himself and you're doing lots of different things. Say you're playing with a balloon. You could say, I throw, I hit, I kick, I catch, I I, you know, whatever with the balloon. So what was your stable thing there? It was I, and you paired it with something new. And so we can do it, again, let's, let me give you another example. We can do it with uh, another goal that we're going to talk about, another milestone here, which would be using more action words, a whole uh, varied action words. So what would you do for that? So for this, when you're teaching that new action word, which you might... Again, still teaches a single word, then you change the noun that goes with it. So let's just take an a, a action word like runs. So you might have a farm set. So what would you do? You would make what? The cow run, and you would make the duck run, and you would make the pig run, and you would make the horse run. So you changed all of your nouns or your subjects for that, and what remained the same? It was your new target for your new action word. So think about this. This is also a really helpful strategy when we are thinking about motor planning. For our toddlers and preschoolers who've been diagnosed with apraxia or any other kind of uh, motoric issue, even if it's not at the even if it's subclinical and not quite at the level that they can be officially diagnosed, we know that keeping Part of that utterance stable is what, would, or the same is what would help a child be able uh, to do that, produce that. So it's a super effective strategy, even for language therapy. Now, the second strategy that I want to talk about here is called auditory bombardment. Now, if you've been around for a while like me, <laughs> you've heard that term since you were in grad school. So, what is auditory bombardment? It's where a child just listens to you read a list of targets or goals. They're not required to say it or repeat it, they're just listening. And so that's great not only for uh, articulation, like we might traditionally think about this for kids, let's say, and our tick kid is with you working on a final K, they might just listen to you read a list of words. So you might sit there at the end. And when we did it back uh, in the 80s, when I went uh, when I was an undergrad and early grad school, you know, we would have our children in headphones, and they would uh, sit preschoolers, and they would sit and just listen or color or do something while we read them a list of words. Now we might not do it. It might be a little bit more naturalistic uh, while we're doing that. But here with language application, it might be them listening to you as their therapist or a parent uh, read a book or flip through a little set of pictures, or they may even, an older preschooler might color a picture with his target uh, language words there. And again, sometimes we think about this as purely an Arctic strategy, but we can think about it uh, as an additional helpful language strategy. And so I'll give you some examples of that as we go through. I forgot to mention one thing with the study that I referenced here on the handout. The study was actually with some children who were a little bit older, but they found out that it was most helpful, pardon me, to use auditory bombardment at the end of a session and researchers say that it helps children consolidate their learning or their gains. So it's another strategy that you can pull from maybe another area of your practice that you haven't thought about before or tighten it up. Uh, But I'll give you some more examples when we talk about teaching action words uh, for this in a few minutes. Now let's pick up with our milestone list and start talking about these specific milestones. The first one is imitates two numbers or unrelated words on request. So the first skill on this milestone list is still related to imitation. And so as I said in the intro, super, super important way for kids to still learn everything, including how to talk. And so by two and a half, by 30 months here, a child's auditory processing or how he he hears, how he processes those incoming words and what he hears, and his working memory, so now he can kind of hold it there, are improving so kids can imitate really, really well. This is where kids start to be able to imitate a lot, kind of even sometimes more than they understand. So you can say maybe the opening lines of the Declaration of Independence, and you have some uh, two-and-a-half-year-olds who can do that. But lots and lots of uh, kids still won't be to that level. But they're certainly to the point that they can hold two numbers, which, again, would kind of be out of context if you say, say seven and three, and they say seven, three, or two unrelated words. Say boat and fish, that kind of thing. So those are things that we have on assessments. And so again, because their imitation skills have improved, that's uh, one of the reasons that we continue to get that big increase in vocabulary size. So we hear lots and lots of new words. And that would include nouns. And so certainly we need to work on strategies to increase that variety. Uh, even as we work on specifics here, I mentioned this in the intro, but I want to continue to talk about it throughout the show today. We have got to increase the complexity for words when we get kids here to this level and remember why can we we know that we can do that we can bump it up a little bit because their imitation is better because their auditory processing is better and their working memories are better so this is when we bump them up a little bit with complexity and i'll just say it again like i like i say on almost every show every course that i teach imitation is the most important skill that we can teach any child who is nonverbal or minimally verbal and we're going to continue to emphasize that here even as we bump up that complexity complexity. And so at this phase, too, let's talk about our little friends with language delays. They have to still imitate that new word before they're able to use that new word spontaneously. So for you SLPs out there and for you parents working with late toddlers, you have to continue to focus on imitation even now uses three-word phrases frequently. All right, that's our next milestone. So, by 27 to 30 months, kids with average speech-language development, so kids right there in the middle, are using three-word phrases regularly during conversations. Now, here we're not talking about imitated phrases, so you say something that's three words and they repeat you. We're talking about spontaneous phrases. We're not even talking about holistic phrases, like, I got it, I did it, where'd it go? Those kinds of holistic phrases are actually, kids learn is one long word, and those are good strategies and kind of an in-between level. We'll talk about that, but you shouldn't really be giving children credit for, well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what's the difference between a holistic phrase and a spontaneously generated phrase, and when we start to kind of count those, we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, let's t- just talk about what a self-generated three-word phrase uh, might be. So let me give you some examples. So it could be something like, want more milk, me Go outside. Get big truck. Bat my ball. Uh, what that dad dad? Those kinds of things. All right. Uh, of course, the skill is totally dependent on a child's vocabulary size. Remember, before we said that before a child begins to put two word fr- two words together. So before we hear two word combinations, a child typically has how many single words? Typically, thirty five to fifty words. So when their their vocabularies get to be that amount or that Size. That's when children spontaneously, unless there's something going on with their uh, language, like a language disorder, then they're going to start to combine those words, and that's why phrases start to emerge. It's because they have enough vocabulary support or a, a wide enough word bank, if you want to think about it that way. So before a kid gets to be able to do three word phrases, and again, not just something he imitates or something a holistic phrase he's learned altogether, something that he truly is pulling this word, that word, and this word on. His his own to make a phrase he needs probably hundreds of words right to bump up to that or or you know well above that 35 to 50 word level before he can do that so even before we target length even before we start thinking about that we need to be thinking about vocabulary development it is such a big deal so we need to teach words from a variety of classes now i'm still including that basic vocabulary list in um uh, the handout notes but this is the last age range that I'll do that because by the time a child gets to 36 months he needs a lot more words than these. I'm not sure how many total words, this probably is uh, well over this probably is a couple hundred words, but we, my point is we're going to need to go beyond that and again, make, uh, really make variety a big, big goal. And so by this developmental level, by the time we get to 30 months, a child should have so many words that it's difficult to keep a vocabulary list, a vocabulary list. Oh, I'm having trouble today. Uh, and when I get a kid to kind of that level where I can't really keep a list anymore, it's too hard. That's kind of when I feel like, whew, you know, we're getting there, but keep your focus going and as we said in the last set of shows uh, that we were talking about this vocabulary explosion vocabulary development is a goal for all children typically developing or later developing and all throughout elementary school so we never need to lose sight of that so to reach that goal what do we need to do to get to three word phrases we've got to focus on vocabulary development not teaching lots of rote three word phrases all those that can be helpful to get them going. But once a child is doing those things, don't leave them there. Make sure that you are helping a child, again, uh, become more spontaneous and begin to, as I said before, pull those various words and come up with his own self-generated uh, uh, phrases or utterances here now those patterns and anchor words again are going to make it easier but when we don't do that kids sound too robotic and they sound uh, they still sound pretty pretty limited when you compare them to a peer some therapists will characterize this as sounding therapized I hate that word. It's, you know kind of a made-up word but it's a good descriptor here so after we think okay boy I can't this this kid isn't doing vo- uh, three word phrases yet because his vocabulary is not there let me get that the Semantics part of that going, then we start to look at the syntax or the length. And so, here, after vocabulary development, the next thing that we want to do is make sure that a child can verbally sequence syllables. So, what do we say when kids can't sequence syllables? What diagnosis do we think about? We think about apraxia or a motor planning issue. Usually, though, if a child is apraxic, you're going to know (laughs) before you get to this uh, point. You're going to know they're slow to develop any words. But my point here is. This strategy that we're using to make sure that kids can get to that three-word level for a kid who has motor planning issue. Sometimes they even help our language kids, and so sometimes our language kids may have a hint of a motor planning issue, and it may be so so subtle, certainly subclinical. They're not going to meet that full diagnostic criteria to get an apraxia diagnosis, but we know that it's there. So what can we do? And again, this might be even for kids with language issues that just need that. Hump, that help getting over that hump. So we have to work to get that sequencing going. Now in the earlier age ranges, we talked about doing that with singing, and we talked about repetition of one words and syllables to increase that utterance length. So go back and listen to shows. That would be probably shows 453, 455, where we talked about that, but now we're up here to 30 months. So kids here to be at this level, they've already gotten past the 24-month level, which was they, they were supposed to be doing, uh, and, and again, as I'm saying this, I'm talking about our little, as I'm saying, supposed to be doing two word things. I'm talking about our little friends that we're kind of tracking. They're closer to three, but we know, hey, they're, I think they're at the 24 month level. And why, how do I justify that? It's because they're using two word phrases. So kids here that we're talking about should at least be, you know, with that two word phrases firmly established. So here our, our most logical strategy then is going to be to get a kid from a two word phrase to a three word phrase. And so the best strategy for that is what? expansion. (laughs) So that's where they say something. A child says a two-word phrase and then we add another word and encourage that repetition. So it's much easier for kids when we do this. When we take what they're saying, and then we pull another word from their well-established word, so another word that they can already say, not a new word, so another word they're already using, and we get that into a three-word phrase, and again, we encourage that imitation. So let me give you some examples. So a child says, My dog. So what are some things we could do to expand that phrase, my dog? Well, we could add what the dog is doing, so we could add a verb, my dog barks or barking, or wherever that child kind of is with verbs, he's probably not doing those endings yet, so you are probably just hear my dog bark, right? No matter what wordy model there. You could add a descriptor so if he's barking we might say my dog is loud and again that auxiliary verb is probably not there yet that begins for most children in the next little developmental period Uh, but so my dog loud you could add another kind of descriptor you know my black dog if you want to go with a color there it's finally developmentally appropriate to use a lot of color words and descriptors because Kids can incorporate those kinds of words in their existing vocabularies and it not, uh, again, they're not losing anything. They've got enough foundational vocabulary that colors now, again, are appropriate to add. Uh, So again, it depends on your options from existing words. You can make it easier. But vocabulary development should be a focus for new words uh, for all kids like we talked about. Now, as you steadily march toward three-word phrases, you also need to pay attention to the number of syllables in the phrase, not just the words. So if every word is multisyllabic, it might be too difficult. So if a child is saying something like, Mommy, yogurt, yummy, that's three words, but six syllables, you know, mommy, yogurt, yummy. So that's harder. So you may have to start with three syllables single syllable words like cargo down, want more milk, see my shoes, you know, those kinds of things. Let's mention another idea idea here that's helpful. Uh, We talked about introducing holistic phrases to help a child get to that three-word phrase use. So phrases, like we said, that they learn is one long phrase, like I got it, I did it, where'd it go? Oh, wow, you know, something, again, that would be three words instead of two. But I really caution you here not to consider those as true three-word phrases. And why is that? Because they're not. Kids have learned those as one long word. But it does help us get that utterance length going. So how do you tell the difference between a holistic phrase and when you can give a kid credit for using phrases versus again that holistic phrase? Well, when it's used he's using those words in other novel, truly self-generated phrases, even if they're just changing one word of that holistic phrase. So if a kid routinely says, I got it. I got it. I got it. And then he start, suddenly starts to say, I got shoes. I got more. I got mine. He puts another word there in place of that pronoun. It, he understands it. He's really learned how to use that. So that's now self-generated and you would count that. What about I did it? So I did it might become, he might change the middle word. I did it becomes, I want it. I do it. Uh, you know, it, it, Anything there is that middle word. I got it. Those kinds of things. He changed has changed that second word. So it's truly self generated. So when a child is struggling to get past that two word phrase, we can use patterns to get those phrases going. So you've got whole word or I'm sorry, holistic phrases. And now think about anchor phrases and carrier phrases. You may use those terms kind of interchangeably, but let me kind of give you some examples. So anchor phrases, you know, we've got the same first two words, so we just changed the last word. And again, it's more a carrier phrase is more road. I'll give you some of those examples in a minute, but I think about an anchor phrase, is that a kid is playing with a boat. And so we decide, okay, okay, now, my boat, I know it can say that, I'm gonna get to that third word phrase, three word phrase, so I've gotta put a word on the end of that, so we're gonna play with that boat, we're gonna make my boat down, my boat up, my boat in, my boat out. Focusing on that last word as a preposition. We can also make it a verb, right? What, what are some things you would do if you were making that third word a verb? My boat go. My boat stop. My boat crash. My boat push. You know, again, think about your verbs you could put in there. And so, again, this is an example of our evidence-based strategy that we discussed at the beginning where we're increasing variety with input and holding the target the same. Now, you certainly do that with carrier phrases. This could be even more general. And so this would be phrases like, I want blank, or there's a blank, that's my blank, I see blank, I like blank, give me blank, want more blank. And again, you're using those simple patterns with the same words at the beginning so that a toddler only has to plan to change one word at a time. Another thing that I do here to get to three-word phrases is really, really listen to what a child is saying and then listen for anything that almost sounds like a three-word phrase and work on just cleaning that up to make those things that they're already trying to say more intelligible. All right, so when we have kids who aren't bumping up to longer phrases, they just can't get from that two-word to three-word phrase what's going on. Lots of times it's a cognitive issue and they are having lots of difficulty joining ideas in play and so you've gotten them to the two-word level and they may not even be really as firmly established there as they should be so what do you do to work on this again it's helping them include other things just including improving and increasing the complexity of their play so in play you'd work for a child to add pieces to existing play schemes so if he likes playing with his cars give those cars a place to go like a garage like a car wash like a house like a like something else to do besides the child have the car rolling by himself. Have him add these other ideas. Uh, Have him build a road. Add a driver. Anything to make that more complex. All right, and again here I want to mention that MOU. We talked about mean length of utterance, and this is actually the the bottom milestone, but we want to include it here because we're talking about three-word phrases. Uh, Mean length of utterance just means kind of the average length. We just take an average of what a kid uses. Now, for non-SLPs, we're counting units of meaning in a language sample to calculate this. So a word like CATS. Where a child is putting the plural s on the end of cats, that's actually a two uh, because that that word actually has two units of meaning. There, we've got a cat, and then we we've added something on top of it when we've added more than one cat. So a verb tense like a, a word like a verb like eat, when you change a child changes that to add an ing ending becomes eating. That also kind of counts as two, but here usually it's because the child is using phrases. And again, we're hearing more three-word phrases that really kind of come in and uh, balance out and maybe even some longer sentences that we're going to talk about. And so again, that makes that MOU continue to bump up. We're jumping ahead, but we discussed it now. uh, And I just wanted to be sure to explain it uh, to you non-SLPs who've sort of been wondering, although I gave you a really limited explanation there. But for SLPs, this is an important marker and I wanted to mention it. The next milestone is ask for assistance with personal needs so by the time a child with typically developing language is 24 to 30 months old she or he can ask for help meeting their own personal needs. So, on an assessment tool, this task is listed to judge how a child will initiate a request that she can't pre- for tasks that she can't perform on her own, like washing her hands in the sink or going to the restroom. Now, as professionals in early intervention, sometimes we just kind of take this as any request. But this really isn't, this really is a request specifically for help. So, a request for an adult to come do something for you. And it's an important marker for children. So, there are two parts to targeting the skill. So, I want to teach you some strategies. Part number one of this is you've got to teach the specific vocabulary. So, if a child isn't already saying a phrase like help me or uh, I need help or please help or some version of that, he doesn't have the pragmatic function to really get to this three-word phrase here at this ask for help with personal needs. So you've got to start back there with something uh, shorter to really help him master that. Then you're going to move it to that specific vocabulary and again, make it really tailored to what he's doing. So things like washing hands, going to potty, zipping, those kinds of things. So kids who aren't requesting familiar things like I need a cookie or uh, more milk please, or those kinds of things. They're, they're not even kind of ready for uh, asking for assistance with personal needs. So you've got to get kids there. So it's that next little developmental rung. After you teach that vocabulary, then you've really got to set up the situation so that a child can practice. And you give him give him time to learn how to initiate that. So what do you have to do? You have to give him a reason <laughs> to ask you for help. So, something like eating a messy snack or painting or something where he needs to wash his hands or playing outside where he gets, you know, totally covered. You know, hopefully that's going to be enough to kind of push him over the edge there. And so, you're going to take the child to the restroom. You can do things like modeling. Oh, my hands are so dirty. Oh, my goodness, look at my hands. What do you need to do? Your hands are dirty too. All those things that we say that you would do a lot more slowly and a lot more naturalistically than I'm doing here to give you uh, that example. Uh, But you may have to prompt a couple of times and still, Model, you know, do you need help? And you still may even need a direct model with things like help me wash or I need wash hands. Those kinds of things uh, that you want to work on. So uh, I like to model this in sessions, too, pretending that I need help with things. And so that's certainly a way, again, to make this more naturalistically. So you can uh, effectively use the phrase when you are asking a child for assistance. And as a parent, you can do it, too. So pretend you can't open a bag or perform a routine task or anything like that where you're going to be asking the child, you know, help, help me. I need help, you know, many, many, many times so that he starts to learn that. Uh, And you can certainly use a peer or a sibling model so that you can have another child uh, model this too. So that a child, again, he's hearing another child doing it. And remember, we talked about what imitation is still a prime learning strategy. So we want to uh, be sure that we are doing that with our children Uh, and really talk to parents about how that is, has worked for you in sessions. If waiting is successful, if you're also working on initiating uh, for a child to really again take the lead with that. This is a fun, fun goal to work on in that way. So encourage a parent to use this strategy at home. Now this goal is perfect for the second evidence-based strategy that we talked about today at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, if you'll look on your handout there, it's auditory bombardment. And remember we said this is just where a kid is going to listen to the, to the Uh, the goal or the milestone over and over and over and so here your idea might be and remember you're not having the child say it here you're just having the child listen and so end of the session was the best timing so that a child could consolidate learning so find a book or make a little book that has something about personal needs for a mom she could take pictures of her child doing lots of things kind of within this realm: washing his hands going to the potty asking for help getting his coat on or off or whatever a child you know talk to a mom about, you know, whatever a child might need help with or whatever he's already sort of trying to ask for help with. And see, mom might uh, even have them on her phone there, you know, pop them in a little album on the phone and just scroll through pictures on her phone with their child and practice that. She's going to do that anyway. <laughs> so we might as well get some speech or language practice with that, right? And so a uh, great idea to do that. You can certainly put personal needs those little uh, personal questions so that a child is getting lots of exposure to that milestone. The next milestone is uses action words. Now the age for using action words is listed differently when we're looking at different assessment tools, but I really like to think about this as being firmly established here by 30 months. So by this time or by this developmental level, remember we might have a four-year-old who we think is at the 30-month developmental level but by this time we need to be hearing lots and lots of verbs. Now as We talked about in the previous show in 456, so the other kind of partner show here for receptive language at this age range, and we talked about that in that show. I love teaching verbs, so I'm just not going to repeat myself a lot with this show, but I want to give you some more specific examples. So let's talk about first some general recommendations for teaching verbs. Even though we have kids up here at this phrase level, and they're talking now predominantly in three-word phrases frequently, they're probably even using some longer utterance sometimes, we still wanna pull back teaching new verbs to that single word level. Now for verbs, our instinct will just to be saying something like, you know, what's he doing? What's she doing? What's the mommy doing? Which again, that is how we teach it. But at the same time, it does not always work with our friends with language delays. You've gotta teach verbs just like you do nouns. One new word at a time (laughs) and with lots and lots of context. Uh, so let's talk about this continuum for how we can teach a child to say more verbs and we can apply this to any goal, but let's talk about it specifically for verbs. And then I want you to be able to generalize it. So first we're going to, what we're going to teach the word receptively. So when we have a new, uh, uh, a new word, a new verb that we're teaching a child, we have to make sure that he understands it or he comprehends it first before we expect him to say it. After that we can begin to target that word expressively. Now remember what we know from evidence-based practice for toddlers, we teach words primarily in three different contexts in everyday routines. So things that their moms and dads do with them all day long every day. Things they eat breakfast, they take, you know, they take a bath, they get dressed, they eat lunch, they take a nap. Blah, 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 blah. All those things that we always consider on our IFSPs, those things that they do day in and day out. We know that we can teach words expressively in that context and it's really powerful. The next things we know that we can do are specific experiences designed to elicit or facilitate that word. So this is gonna be what? Therapy. (laughs) These are the things that we're doing week in and week out, session after session to really, again, work on the goals that we're working toward. We're not willy-nilly. We're not just saying any old word will do which it will but at the same time we're really really laser focused on what our goals are so specific play routines with toys that are uh, somewhat if not completely adult directed or led they're at least facilitated by the adult so that we get to that word and then finally what Early literacy activities, so reading books together with an adult. So let's talk about how we can use that evidence-based practice to inspire us to teach action words more effectively. So again, we said the first piece of that was what? It's with the receptive language component. So remember that before any child can use a word or say a new action word, he's first got to what? Understand that word. So some kids do seem to be able to Uh, say the word before they can understand it. And I'm thinking about our little friends with autism, but for most kids, we do need to see that evidence that they can understand what it means, certainly before they're going to say it and then use it correctly, spontaneously. So the best way to be sure a child understands a word is what? It's that he follows a direction with it, or that he, again, in some way indicates, even without talking, that he understands what that word means. So even as we're teaching new action words, we have a fair amount of receptive language training to do too. So if we notice that a child isn't using very many action words, instead of thinking, oh, this is purely an expressive goal, start by having him follow lots of different directions during play. And so for verbs, for action words, we might give him a bus set with people, and we're just going to see how many different action words or verbs we can get him to do with that set. And so we can certainly start real simple. You know, make make your man walk. You know, make him run make him sit down make him climb the stairs make him jump make him you know get on the bus get off the bus make him sing any kind of verb, especially the familiar ones, and then we might move on to ones that are more, a little bit more specific. Make him drive the bus. Can he push the bus? Make him open the door. Again, making it, kind of taking it up to that uh, next little level. So if you don't, if you're thinking, boy, I'm just at a loss with that, particularly if you're a parent and you don't do this all the time like therapists do, use your handout. Take a look at the action word list here on the third page of your handout, and uh, use that as your cheat sheet as you are working on that so after um, you've done that again you're going to have the child uh, at the very beginning start to really imitate those action words and that's where we move to that expressive uh, level there with lots of repetition linked to that action word my man walks what's he doing walk 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 my man's climbing up the stairs what's he doing climb 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 and again I'm being purposefully repetitive here why? Because that really helps children, especially those with language delays, learn. We're not only, only talking about the expressive piece, but what? The receptive piece. They've really got a link meaning with that word. And again, here we're not necessarily focusing on saying the word just yet, but introducing the word and making sure the child understands it. And then we move to that recept- that expressive piece. Uh, strategy two. So the best way that we teach words too. we talked about, you know, passive the receptive language. We talked about those three contexts. So it's in everyday routines. So our best strategy for here that we talked about back in uh, the previous show, 455, was linguistic mapping. So what is linguistic mapping? It's just where you say what a child would say if he could say it. So you are following a child's cues. And so if we think about this with focusing on action words, uh, we, we need to to really kind of meet him where he is and teach him more verbs to increase his vocabulary. So we want to teach moms to be able to do this. And this is something that, again, would be a goal in a session. And so we would say to mom, hey, I want to teach you this new strategy. The fancy term for this is linguistic mapping. And that basically means linguistic with words and mapping. You are going to map onto your child the language that we need him to hear so that he can be able to use that language. So anytime we notice him needing a new word, and here we're thinking about action words we're going to be sure that we are using that as an opportunity to teach him a new action word. So you've got to emphasize that word when you're playing with him. And so you might give some examples. You might say, you know, what'd you have for breakfast today? And let's say that mom says waffles. And you can say, well, what were your action words for waffles? You could say cut, you know, and you could just talk about all through breakfast. You could think about, you know, maybe, maybe they sprinkle powdered sugar on the waffles or pour the syrup, you know, use whatever goals, use whatever uh, for your goal, whatever word, mom is telling you or what I'm really trying to say is specifically tie that to context. When it's time to go outside, you know, they're probably already practicing a, a verb like open, but think about how they can expand that existing activity with word like shut or close or slam as in don't slam the door. So really help mom walk through those activities and come up with uh, not just those basic familiar verbs. A child should already be doing that here by 30 months. Bump them up to that next level of complexity brainstorm those ideas based on your daily routines uh, with parents that is what that IFSP process is all about sometimes we feel so silly when we are doing those kinds of exercises with parents but we have to have those conversations and you can share the vocabulary sheet that third page of your handout you can share that as your tool and your starting point if you feel like uh, that you need help with that all right so in in addition to those everyday routines we can also teach new words in very Structured experiences. So for us as early intervention therapists, that's usually action and play activities, right? So with, if we're playing with a balloon or a ball or bubbles or cars, whatever, the theme of our session should be action words. So teaching them as the single words and then inserting them into phrases. So let's talk about how we can do this with one of the strategies that uh, we've been talking about. That one of our new evidence-based strategies like increasing the variety and holding our target stable. So let's say that we are doing this with verbs. So we can apply this theory here to teaching new verbs. So we take the same action words, but then what do we do with our other words? We make those words change. So let's say that our action word is drive. Now remember, we're bumping up our complexity. We're not just using eat, drink, sleep, walk, go, open. We've got to teach some new words by this point, right? And so what? how would we teach the new word drive? It would be using lots of different characters, right? Driving vehicles. So the farmer drives the tractor. Daddy drives the truck. Mommy drives the stroller. The man drives the bus. What, were the, what was the only thing you held constant in that? It was your action word. It was drive, right? And you changed all that other vocabulary. So that's uh, what we were talking about. That's a great example for that particular strategy. Now, the last kind of activity for teaching language, we said we did everyday activities. We did real structured experiences that were specifically tailored to teaching the milestone or the goal. And the last kind of activity was what? early literacy activities. So uh, using books. So my favorite thing to do with books really is to teach new verbs. And so I like to just take a book in the story and we don't even have to read. We pantomime the actions and act out the book. Now You can be as fun and as silly as you want without overstimulating the child and completely losing control. But whatever that character does, you do too. Uh, other books, we've mentioned this in previous age ranges, uh, like the Eric Carl book, uh, I Can Do It. I believe that's the name of that. That book, or the I Can book. But really kids are beyond that at this level. And even though that vocabulary in that book is still probably a- applicable here, again, you want kids bumping up to that next level where they are doing something that's just a little bit more challenging. So lastly, for this goal for action words, we can also use auditory bombardment. Now, if you've listened to one of my courses before or read lots of my work at Teach Me To Talk, or if you're on my daily email list, you've heard this a lot but I actually hate flashcards and apps <laughs> and don't use a lot of those. But this is a perfect opportunity for you to be able to use those kinds of things. And again, kind of this developmental level uh, moving on. But it would those things would be optimal for selecting a little set of verb cards or action word cards to review at the end of a session. And again, maybe even send home to parents to review. You can maybe use your cards and uh, hole punch those ends and pop one of those ring binders in it and again, don't, be sure you're really explicit when you're giving those directions to mom and say, you know, our goal here at the beginning is not necessarily saying this, but certainly help on a chi- helping a child understand what those words are. And then we're going to move on to really uh, using those little patterned uh, phrases that we talked about. And so, again, we're going to keep... Um, we're going to keep our new action words the same or stable there, but we're going to vary all, those other, uh, all that other language input that we're going to provide to that child. So talk about that. See, I kind of mix those strategies there. With your auditory bombardment and with uh, in, uh, increasing that variety, these are excellent, excellent strategies to use for action words. And be sure that you're teaching uh, moms and dads how to do that at home too. The next milestone is names one color accurately. (laughs) Now, we do not emphasize shapes, colors, letters, and numbers with toddlers until they have a large enough vocabulary because we want their words to be functional. It is very hard for a child to make it through his day with only knowing words like blue and octagon, and that's kind of how they always say it, right? And so we have to really, again, say working on colors until children are developmentally ready. By two and a half, they're developmentally ready. (laughs) So as a rule, I usually ask parents to wait until a child uh, is at least using phrases consistently and has a vocabulary of about 50 words Uh, Before and, and is routinely asking for what he needs before we start to really purposefully and intentionally teach colors. Now, older than this age range, so here we're at 30 months and we say that a child should name one color accurately, but let's look ahead for a little bit just a little bit. A child, by the time that he's turned three, should identify the basic following colors. Red, green, blue, yellow, purple, orange, black, and white. Now, most typically developing children begin to say color words before two and really learn them on their own just with incidental teaching, meaning that Uh, Parents show them colors of things as they play or talk about colors on their clothes or point them out in books, and they practice that over time. And that's how typically developing children Even without preschool, (laughs) usually learn colors. Now, this will be more of a challenge for our children with cognitive delays. And so, this can kind of also give us some more information. And I've really found that to be true. The kids who have lots of difficulty learning colors on my caseload are kids over the years who have also had some cognitive involvement. So, we've seen some other learning challenges there. All right, I'm going to give you some general ideas about teaching colors, mostly about the sequence for teaching. colors, and we're going to talk about this more in-depthly in show 459, so that next age range up where we're looking at 36 months, and so first kids match by color, and so this is where they're not even talking about color words yet. You just give them lots of, uh, say we give them two, uh, a whole pile of Legos in there primarily color, two different colors. And we should uh, then have them group. You know, all the blue ones go here and all the red ones go here. That would be how we would do them uh, with matching and sorting at the beginning. And that comes first before a kid begins to name a color accurately. Then kids begin to identify colors receptively, and that would be where we would say, find all the blue ones, and they can, again, they're really accurate, you know, with just that one color. Then, after kids learn colors receptively, and again, this would be more than one color. I was specifically talking about what we are addressing here at this age range. But here, um, this would be, again, where kids start to name colors. And this is the first step in that expressive skill development with colors. And it would be where they just name one color accurately. And this at the beginning is is generally when they see a blue block or a blue car or whatever their color happens to be, green or yellow or whatever their little color is, where they see that color and they name it. Or you say, what color is that? And they get that one right but more often than not kids may be struggling with that at this developmental age because that's what they're learning there will be lots of trial and error they may not name any other colors just his favorite color and that usually will change (laughs) by the time they're 30 months all right some more ideas you can play some matching games here And again, we're trying to really help kids become aware of color and those differences. I like to use, and I've shared this example a lot, my favorite matching game is just gift bows that you would use maybe for Christmas presents or birthday presents. Just those bows and then match them to a poster board or construction paper. You can do it with balls from the ball pit. You can do it with uh, Legos, anything that would be primarily one color. A relay game is a really fun way to set this up for toddlers, too, particularly if you're working for three- and four-year-olds who have bigger bodies, but they're still developmentally here at this age range, and they're still really having to learn how to match colors. So where you set up your colors on one side of the room, and you have your objects back there with you with the child at the starting point, and they just get the red whatever, and then they go match it to the red paper, and then they come back and get the blue whatever, and then match it to the blue paper. Super, super uh, fun way to do it. You can certainly do that with lots of different kinds of materials. That's just a good example that has really, really worked for me over the years. You can involve uh, siblings with that. Just just a great way. And again, you're teaching those colors there, and you may have to back up with lots of our little friends with cognitive delays and cognitive learning Uh, challenges there and teach that one color at a time. Certainly parents need to be involved with this with lots and lots of labeling at home uh, in everyday routines with tons of repetition. And that's uh, certainly any preschool teacher who uh, has worked for more than one year has lots of ideas for teaching colors. So we certainly want to involve uh, all of a child's team as we work toward that goal. The next goal is refers to self by pronoun consistently. Now, by this stage, kids drop using their own names in phrases as they talk about themselves. So instead of saying something like, Logan Choo Choo, they now start to say, My Choo Choo. Or, Emmy's Shoes. Or, Emmy Emmy Wants Cracker. Now they say, I want a cracker. So like we've said now a couple of times in this series... When a child has lots of difficulty with learning pronouns, what they mean, and then certainly with Pronoun usage with saying lots of pronouns, we do begin to suspect a language disorder rather than a delay. So, if kids aren't using pronouns, we'll have to teach them. Now, this is, we're just going to run through a real crash course. I really debated about doing lots of theoretical information in this section, and I think that I've done that in previous shows. So, in this show, when we're talking about pronouns, I just want to talk about those just really practical methods that have worked for me. So let's just review our list from the vocabulary page on your handout. Now this is on uh, page number three of your handout. And so your uh, pronoun words there, I call them possessives on this. So we try to use words that were um, in everyday language to parents. So pronouns might have put them off a little bit with a part of speech, a a link back to uh, high school English, but the pronouns there that that are emerging by this age or are established by this age. Me, mine, my. So those three little my's there. You, I, and it. All right, so those are the ones. So let's talk about the easy ones first. So let's do me, my, and mine. If a child has already been in therapy for a while, you've probably already taught this word, right? And certainly if a child has brothers and sisters, or if he's participated in any kind of child care programming at all, <laughs> he probably understands the words mine and me and my. And so we have to use Tons of gestures, gestures, gestures. So lots of body uh, movements and body actions there uh, to teach these. I like to teasingly play games with my little friends so that I take something that's theirs and say mine. And again, you want to have a really sparkly face when you do it so that they know that you are playing with them and they don't become upset. So that usually works too. Now, some kids become super obsessed with this and parents are going to get upset about that. So you can't play so much that they. Become little villains, you know, in their homes that they are doing that, and become super, super obsessed with it. But at the same time, they do need to practice. So you'll have to do some things to practice with that. I ask lots of questions to practice. So in a session, whose turn is it? Whose turn can it be? So that they certainly have an opportunity to, even with a sign, you know, pat their little chest or raise their hands. Some. little gestures there to say, me, you know, who wants a snack? Me. Who wants a kiss? You know, who who wants whatever they're doing? That's certainly an opportunity. And then you bump up to phrases after they, you know, we always teach new words as single words, right? To toddlers with language delays who've had difficulty learning language, we have to still isolate that And still, again, meet them where they are and really, really uh, help them master those. So then we bump it up past single words to phrases with my. So you use lots of different, different examples here. Remember, this is our first strategy with varying that input, and we keep the pronoun the same. So in one session, you know, my car, my shoe, my bus, my hair, my cookie, my cracker, my balloon, my bubble, my chair... You know, and you keep that going where you label my, 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 or I, 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 you know, I jump, I kick, I fall, I run, I do it, I give it to you, you know, I see, you know, all everything that you're going to do, then your primary primary model those sessions would be i or whatever your pronoun is and so remember your goal what you're doing with that is you are increasing your variety because the target word is emphasized because the kids focus on the word that's most stable so let me also teach you a little song that's been super effective for me in teaching pronouns and this is not an original song this is from nancy Swiggert with the early intervention kits Kit. a really old book uh, but these are for teaching the pronouns i and you and i've sung this song for years and years since this. It's to the tune of Are You Sleeping? So um, I, you sing it like this. You know, I see Jonathan. I see Jonathan. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I see Jonathan. I see Jonathan. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Now if you're doing gestures, you can even really point to your eye or I here. I still use I for eye because of that little uh, play on words there that drives some therapists crazy, they hate that, but it really, really works with two and three year olds. So, I still use it. You can also do it if you're working on you sing this with the word you know. So, and I, I talk about the binocular song and act like we're you know, have our binoculars here for a child that would really understand that. And certainly they probably, you know, would at this age range by 30 months. And so, you know, you're singing, I see you, I see you, yes, I do, yes, I do. I see you, I see you, yes, I do, yes, I do. And again, you can use those gestures with that for, you know, I see you, I see you. And that might even be more effective for some kids than the little binocular trick. Uh, So to teach you... Another thing I do is frequently tease a child in therapy and I say, I'm not going to do it. You do it. You, you, you. And that works so well. Kids will start to use that immediately. Moms come and say, oh, I wish you had never taught her that. She wants me to do everything. She's constantly saying you, you, you. But again, you know, a child has generalized and really understands that word when they start uh, to do that. And so uh, certainly when a child is talking in longer phrases, we can teach early pronoun use just in the context of commenting. And remember that we always want to try to teach different pragmatic functions. And for those of you who are not SLPs, pragmatics, Uh, means language use. So, you know, we comment, we label, we request, we respond, we initiate, we have greetings and closures. So we want to be sure that we're practicing pronouns or verbs or any other milestone that we've talked about on this show in the context of commenting. So for pronouns, we could target this during play when we have similar items and we might just do a whole little uh, play routine where we talk about what we're going to pick to play. You know, I pick a car. What will you pick? You picked a truck. You picked a boat. I pick, I pick the motorcycle. And again, that's what we're doing here. We're, we're really emphasizing our, um, uh, our targets with our pronouns by keeping that stable and keeping, uh, our other input varied. All right. Um, What if those things aren't effective? What else should we do? What's that next little strategy up? Well, you could continue to use names with the pronoun to help cue the pronoun. And for lots of kids, you may even start to do this at the beginning. You'll just know how much a child is struggling and how you know based on how well you know that child on prior history as to whether uh, you're going to need more cueing, more uh, heavier handed strategies, or more more assistance versus less assistance. So uh, let's talk about two. Uh, Well, let's talk about this, and then we'll we'll talk about that other point. Uh, So we continue to use names to help a child cue the pronouns. So we might say, I, Laura, want a drink or Laura says, I want more chips. And so again, we're providing that referent there. Children with receptive language delays, auditory processing issues and echolalia, and certainly our little guys with autism may struggle to master pronouns for a while. So for those kids that we know, gosh, there's an identified receptive language delay here. I suspect that she has auditory processing issues. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the next show with how, how kids really look at 36 months when they have receptive language Delays that are still lingering, or uh, I guess we would say uh, those auditory processing issues, too. Kind of they're the same kind of issue uh, for or look like that in toddlerhood. We're going to talk about what that looks like at 36 months in show number 458. But those kids when we know that we we may use names for a while as we're teaching those pronouns to really help a child learn uh to effectively link those and we certainly uh will will uh, let's talk about kids with autism and how much difficulty they may have learning pronouns so this is especially true for our little friends who are autistic or who are those uh just processors they process everything as one long word but these kids it is necessary to model the pronoun as the child should say it to reduce the that confusion and increase the likelihood that he learns and uses the correct form from the beginning so pronoun reversal becomes a really big issue and again this can really mark a child who every child at the beginning will make some will make some errors and every child who's two is going to learn you know have to learn how you know when they say hold me versus hold you you know we would say to a child do you want me to hold you and the child would say yes he wouldn't say hold you he would say what he would say, hold me. And so that pronoun reversal its really, really hard and again for lots of our little friends with language disorders versus language delays. And so consistent modeling is important to establish that pronoun and over time, those kids are going to learn to switch pronouns. But this does not always happen at this stage of language development. The milestone here is replacing a name with a pronoun. So you've got a model, model, model. And remember our pronouns here, we're just talking about these early pronouns because the child's, we, our goal here is to replace the name and so you could certainly use auditory bombardment here so show a child lots of pictures of himself like we talked about with the verbs here the 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 goal is the pronoun so practice those Uh phrases with pronouns you know what are you doing? You know, I eat cookie. What are you doing in this picture? I swing. What are you doing in this picture? I take bath. What about this picture? I walk. So certainly another great way uh, to practice. And actually that's where he's doing expressive with auditory bombardment. Remember he wouldn't necessarily be talking or he wouldn't be talking at all. The mom would be doing that. So I want to be sure that you don't make that same error that I just made there. So Uh, Again, great way to work on that with auditory bombardment where he just listens to his mom tell him and use that correct pronoun there. All right. The next milestone is uses two sentence types. So by the time a child is two and a half and has typically developing language, he's using at least two different sentence types. So let's talk about this for a minute. Sentences, and here we're ta- we're not talking about just word combinations, we're talking about sentences. So sentences at a minimum require a subject and a verb. And so this would be different than a word combination like uh, Dad's hat or Uh, my shoe or more juice. Those those combinations are fantastic but they're not really a sentence because they don't have that component of a subject and a verb. So that's what we have to think about here. So in English there are four types of sentences declarative, exclamatory, imperative, and interrogative. And so these are going to be on your handout so you can take uh, a look at uh, this information there. All right. So let's talk about what each of these uh, kinds of sentences are. And let me give you some some definitions here. So declarative. What's a declarative sentence? A declarative makes a statement, provides a fact, offers an explanation, or conveys information. It's the most common type of sentence in English. So for toddlers, this would be where a baby, again, a, to, a, a toddler is making, uh, making, just making a comment, making a statement. So uh, if he's looking at a baby, he might, uh, or even a picture of a baby in a book, he might say, baby cry or baby crying or talking about himself. You know, what did you do? I go down, you know, even if he's using incorrect grammar there or that one is blue. And again, immature grammar is okay. At this point, we're just looking for uh, the sentence structure here. So the goal for declarative sentences is just to have a subject and a verb. And again, because kids are primarily, uh because they primarily use nouns, this, this goal has been hard until they start using phrases. You know, here at this developmental level and in the previous one, between 18 and 24 months. So here, declarative uh, sentences, they certainly should have mastered that type of sentence. So to work on declarative sentences, we know that we're just going to emphasize people and characters as the subjects, And then we're going to add a verb, which is something that we've talked a lot about here uh, in this course. So we piggyback with that previous goal for that. So we get those two words first for declarative sentences, a subject and a verb, and then we add other words to build on that to increase our phrases. But those were declarative sentences. Let's move on to the next type, which is exclamatory. What's an exclamatory sentence? It's a statement that expresses strong emotion. And so if we were seeing this in print, this would typically be with a sentence ending with what? An exclamation point. So here we've got to remember the subject plus the verb. So a kid saying something like, wow, is that an exclamatory sentence? it's an exclamatory word, but it's not an exclamatory sentence. Why? Because it doesn't have a subject and a verb. So an exclamatory sentence would be something like, it's so big, or I see Santa, or uh, wow, uh, you know, putting putting something after that word. So wow, uh, uh, I love it. You know, again, something that, that would be exclaimed that a child would have Uh, emotion like that. All right so that was the second kind of sentence. The third one is imperative. So that's a sentence that expresses a direct command, request, invitation, warning, or instruction. So these are the commands and the request. And so certainly we see children making lots and lots of imperatives here. So I want juice. You do it. Give me more. Get my drink. Put that back. (laughs) Those kinds of sentences. And we certainly hear that with toddlers. And the last kind is uh, interrogative, and this is where a child asks a question. This can be a direct question or an indirect question, and so it can begin with a WH question or be without a WH question, and so a kid might even use the rise in prosody, which we'll talk about in a minute. Let me give you these examples, and then we'll talk about how this applies to our age range. So um, Well, let's just walk through that. So first, we're going to hear questions just where kids use a single word or a prosody rise like saying cookie. So instead of saying, can I have a cookie or will you give me a cookie, please? They're just going to use that one word because that's the level that they're at. And that usually uh, occurs uh, between 12 months and 24 months. So something like cookie or it might be daddy home. And so again, you're going to hear that prosody rise, that intonation go up. They're not really using a question word. They're not inverting, you know, that is yet instead of daddy is home, is daddy home. Not inverting that yet, can't do that yet. That hasn't emerged. So all they do is stick the question mark on the end, and they do that with that rise in their uh, tone a voice at the end. Next, they're going to ask questions like, can I go? And so again, really basic yes, no, or can I? That's kind of a question, can I, can I? That you'll hear a lot of kids do. They may use tag questions uh, where they're asking, you know, shoes or boots, like which one should I wear? And toward the end of this age range, uh, more about 36 months, they're gonna begin with auxiliary verbs, so is that mine or do you have it? And so again, all we're thinking about about 30 months here, a child should be using a prosody rise. You know, what's that? Where'd it go? Um, or or those holistic questions like that. And so then they're going to one step beyond this, really beyond this 30-month level, but they do start to use... Some early WH questions. So, like we said, what's that's kind of the holistic phrase, but they start to ask things like, we're passy. And so they make something really, really specific there on the end. We'll talk about questions a lot more in the next show about 36 months because we'll start to hear a lot between 30 months and 36 months. So, look for that in show 459. All right, so let's quickly review a couple of strategies for teaching a child to. Um, Ask questions and we talked about it more here. Let's see. We've talked about that a little bit more. Um, but l- let's just review it one more time here. So first the question form, we're gonna get that rise in prosody. So what do we do for that? I, I tell you what I do is I use a lot of body movements here. So as I'm doing that, I'm I'm using my facial expressions. I'm doing my body, you know, holding my body a little bit up. And again, sometimes you're even pointing up. When you have kids that speak in those monotone voices, we think about, are they real choppy and robotic? Our little, our friends with apraxia, and we know that apraxia and autism are so closely linked, Uh, you know, 63% of kids with autism also have an apraxia diagnosis. And that might be the reason that they're not talking. And so again, sometimes we have to really train uh, these vocal things, even, uh, you think about it, even more ABA-like, where it's so specific and so structured, and we're even kind of reinforcing that uh, rise in intonation. So just exaggerate your prosody. Use a facial expression or even a gesture. Certainly for that next little round of questions, you know, what's that or where'd it go? I always use gestures, you know, my hands, I can't even say where without my hands popping out, right? <laughs> and I teach that little where, where song pretty early. And so uh, with people, you know, even for playing Where's Mama, which is a YouTube video I did eons ago about teaching, uh, a child to say mama you know using that little game you know where oh where oh where is mama where oh where oh where is mama where oh where oh where is mama where can mama be and so again you'll see kids before they even start to say where or mama or any of that they pop their little hands out and start to do their little bouncing thing and so even before that we're teaching them non-verbally how to ask a question and so then we move uh, to using it you know we generalize that after we've taught a song or something in a specific structure teaching activity then you generalize it and certainly uh, that's that's something that we want to teach parents how to do with um, adding those gestures to accompany those words while we're trying to get those question forms to emerge we're going to talk about this a lot more in show 458 and 459 because it's a big big goal so that was the milestone for using two different sentence types boy we covered a lot of information make sure that you are modeling or targeting all four types of therapists take a look at the ones missing, but focus on those, you know, it's just a facilitative strategy because what did we say the milestone is? Remember the goal here is for what? For two types at this age level. You'll see all four types come into play before 36 months, but certainly here at 30 months, we're just looking for two kinds of sentence types. The next milestone is uses negation. Now, sources again vary for when negation emerges in a toddler with typically developing language skills, but lots cite that a child uses negation by 30 months. From my personal experience, toddlers often use this as soon as they start to begin to combine phrases. So as soon as they start to put, they can say no, and they have some other words, often we'll see that come in, so that's fantastic. I saw my 19-month grandbaby over the weekend. He's using this pattern already. His mother's very first two-word phrase was no church, so this certainly seems to be genetic, that my family gets no <laughs> plus another word pretty quickly. All right, so let's talk about some early patterns for negation. So you could have a, na- a negation plus a noun, like no bed or that's not daddy. You could have negation plus a verb as in no drink or Or no go. And again, it doesn't matter if the grammar is immature. We almost like hearing that because why? That means it's self-generated. They didn't hear you say that. They came up with that verb and that negation on their own. All right? Negation plus preposition. So that would be not in there, not up not in. Uh, Negation plus a descriptive, so something like not yummy, (laughs) if you're telling them, oh, this is yummy, and they say not yummy or no yummy. Later forms of negation, after we see children reach 36 months and beyond, that 36 months to 48 months, they'll start to even use some contractions where they'll start to say words like don't and can't, where they're combining uh, do plus not or can plus not, so combining a verb there. All right, so to teach negation, what do you do? You model an appropriate phrase when a child refuses an activity. That's going to happen, right? So really use this. So shake your head and say, no, whatever. And again, we always want to model something that a child uh, would imitate so that he would be able to start to use that on his own. You can try something like, I don't like it, I don't want it, that kind of thing. But really here for negation, using the no or not plus another word is what we're going to do. So I like to honor no whatever you know whatever they're saying their phrases during therapy as much as i reasonably can power struggles are not fun for anybody and i don't want a kid always feeling like he can't ever choose what we're going to do so if a kid if we're working on negation i mean it would be fantastic for him to refuse what 15 activities in a row right (laughs) because he's saying no bubbles no cars no batman no kitchen no snack whatever you get my point there you're, you, you want to provide those activities for some kids who uh, you you have trouble with. I think it's just going to come up, but you probably could come up with things that they don't like and really model it. So if they don't like uh, uh, something that you're doing, they don't really want to color with you and you know no markers. You know that's certainly something that they could do. It may start a negative trend. I like to do it naturalistically though because those. Uh, situations are going to come up. Uh, This goal is a nice continuation from many of the previous objectives that we've talked about in this uh, developmental period when we're looking at size concepts or anything that we talked about even like in the last show. You know, my jacket is big but your jacket is not big. Your jacket is little. It's not big. Not big. Uh, Give me that pillow. That pillow is mine. That is not yours. And again, looking at how we can use negation now the kicker here is before you use negation a child has to understand the, co- wor- the first word that you're saying, so be sure that you are considering that as well. Be sure to also assign specific homework for parents and caregivers so they can work on this. Uh, parents naturally give lots of don't and no commands in the context of daily routines. So you're going to remind them to really pair it with another word to get it in a phrase. You know, no jumping, no jumping on the couch, and to really add the supplemental uh, body language. So lots and lots of gestures and body language to help a child begin to understand negation. So that's the end of our milestone list for expressive language skills up to 30 months. My best resource for teaching these skills is Teach Me to Talk the Therapy Manual. Practically all the information that we've talked about as far as what the milestones are and the strategies to reach those milestones are listed in this book. So if you are a speech-language pathologist, I have so many SLPs that email me and tell me they use this book every single day. And for parents, if you're looking for a guide with what to work on at home, that's certainly a wonderful resource for you is Teach Me To Talk, the therapy manual, and that link will be below. Now, if you are, uh, if you need, er uh, CE credit. Don't forget to get that credit for today's show with the link below. If it's your first show with us, thank you so, so much. If it's your 30th show with us please come back (laughs) we'd love to have you join us here for these courses here on YouTube please check out our full library of courses we have over 75 that are specifically geared toward toddlers and preschoolers so I hope that you'll take advantage of that all right that's all for today I'm Laura Mize pediatric speech language pathologist and thank you so much for joining me for teach me to talk's podcast